invites us to the task. At the same time, he also equips us with the resources we need to get the job done. And I'm grateful that the Lord works that way. We're going to find an occasion in this this study before us where he calls a man by the name of Levi, also called Matthew in the New Testament. And Matthew was an interesting person, but we find that when Jesus called him, the Bible says he arose and followed him. In this text today, we're, we're going to find encouragement, and I believe we can find that everywhere we look in the Bible. But we're going to get a good look into the heart of God, the way God looks at people. And we're also going to find a lesson on how we, if we want to be godly, need to look into the lives of others. And I think we all can be helped and encouraged in this. And if you're able this morning, I'm going to invite you to join me in standing as we look to the text together, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 13. The Bible says, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. Now that's been the pattern of Jesus Christ, to teach people and to preach, the Bible said in our previous study. Verse 14 says, And as he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me, follow me. And the Bible says, And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, They said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? In other words, we're going to read on. In other words, we find the religious crowd of the day looked at Jesus and said, Why is he spending time with people that we think are bad people? And of course, many of these that Jesus was with in this text, they were bad people. They wondered, how is that? How can this one that preaches truth and claims to be a godly person, why would he spend time with these sinners? That's the word they used in in the end of verse 16. Let's go on to verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's a great statement. Jesus there equates himself to a doctor, and he says, you know, we have needs. And he came to help people and and to provide healing uh, from our sin, really, he provided salvation. But look in the end of verse 15. And I believe there's a statement here that will help us to make sense of this whole text as we study it. The Bible says here, they, now I'm going to read on, but the they there is speaking of this group of sinners, as the religious people called them. They followed him, him being Jesus. The sinners ended up becoming followers of Jesus. And I, I want us to think on this today. Now, I'm, I'm going to pray now and ask God to help me. I need his help. But as I'm praying today, I want to encourage you in your hearts. Would you be praying, Lord, I've got something to get out of this as well. And, and help me to receive a truth that will help me in my life this week. And so let's go to the Lord and, and ask his blessing upon this study. Our Father, I thank you that you are a God that loves everybody. And Lord, we know that apart from uh, really your love for us, we would never be aware of our need for you or what it is to have a relationship with you. And And I'd ask you, God, to use me today to be a help to people. And I pray that as we work together, Lord, that we'd acknowledge that there's really only one in the audience today, and that's you. I pray that as you look in, you'd enjoy what you see in us working together to learn from from the Bible. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The passage begins by saying that Jesus went forth again 
by the seaside. I love the fact the Bible says that Jesus went again. In fact, the construction of that word means this, to go again and again and again. It gives the idea of being persistent. One author said of this word again, it means that Jesus kept coming and kept teaching and kept coming and kept teaching. Jesus was always persistent to get the word out. The Bible tells us he preached the word. And, and as we've studied Mark to this point, we've seen he did that in the synagogue. He did that in the homes of friends. He, he did that uh, in the countryside. Because of the crowds, he was pushed out, the Bible says, into desert places. And now we find him on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee doing what he's been consistent to do throughout his ministry. He's teaching people and sharing the truth of God's word. As we've seen so far, as I've said in our study, Capernaum, this city where Jesus is, was on the side of the Sea of Galilee, and it's where Jesus began his earthly ministry, and it served as really the headquarters for his ministry there. The Bible tells us that this was a place of industry, it was a place where much business was done. In fact, one Jewish historian, Josephus, said that every day from Capernaum, about 230 boats would go out into the Sea of Galilee, and there they'd get involved in what was big business of the day, the business of fishing. While Lisa and I were in Israel a short time ago, we had an opportunity to uh, see this area, to see Capernaum, and to see one of the boats that was pulled from the mud of the seaside. And I want you to get a look at this. This boat, they say, goes back a couple thousand years. It was very much like the ones used in the time of Christ. And, and so 230 boats like this would go out into the sea. There would be fishermen throwing nets over the side, pulling their nets up, hopefully bringing in a, a big catch of fish. They would go to the seashore adjacent to the city of Capernaum. They'd take the fish they caught and they'd try to get them to the market. They would want to make money as much as possible. And as the fish were caught and customers were sought and ready to make their purchases, you can imagine that Rome, who was in charge of the world, who was over these Jewish people as oppressors, they would want to put their hands as deep into the pockets of these businessmen as they could. It's called taxes. And so the taxmen would be there as the fish were coming in and as the business was being done. There were a couple different kind of taxmen in this day. There, there were those that had a, a very unsubjective form of taxation that was, that was the taxman that would tax your property. There were rules for those types of taxes. And then there was another kind of taxman, and this was the one who taxed business and commerce. He was the guy that when you came out of the water and you brought your fish, he was the one there counting up your fish to figure out how much he would tax you. And again, being a subjective taxation, the Romans would have encouraged the taxman, get all you can, and the taxman would share their revenue with Rome. They were cheaters, they were liars, they were corrupt. In fact, as these Tax people were taxing the Jews. We know that they were Jews themselves. The Romans found people who were Jews who would literally be traitors to their own people. They would help the oppressors in keeping their people down. And, and of course, Rome knew that the power would all go to them as the, as the predominant government if they could take the money from the people. The more taxes, the less power the people have. The more dependent they are, the more they look to government. And so Rome was behind this. And, and we see there was a tax person who would, who would do this type of, of, a, of a taxation. And that's the kind of tax man that Levi or Matthew was. He would have been viewed as a crook. He would have been viewed as, as a traitor for working with Rome. As the teaching ministry of Jesus got started there that day on the seaside, he meets this man named Levi. The Bible tells us that Levi's father's name was Alphaeus, and 
There was another apostle, James. We sometimes call him James the Lesser. There were a couple James. He also had a father by the name of Alpheus. It's possible that they were brothers. We're, we're not sure. But it is certain that Levi would have known who Jesus was, what Jesus had said, what he had been doing. Because the Bible makes it clear that everybody in that region had, had heard or, or seen personally what Jesus had done. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, follow me. And the Bible says he arose and he followed. Now, I looked at that and I wondered, why would Jesus have chosen that man, that person? It was an interesting moment. I, I'm sure people are standing around going, why did, why did Jesus pick the tax man? Nobody likes the tax man, especially in this day. No one was excited about the opportunity of this man who cheated them all to, to become really a follower of Christ. Why, why would Jesus have picked this one. And as we look at this text really through the eyes of Jesus Christ, we're going to learn more about him. And in the process, we're going to learn some things about ourselves. If you have your outlines nearby today, I want us to begin by seeing that Jesus is fulfilling. He's fulfilling. Imagine getting a call tomorrow from a job placement center and they say someone had given you, uh, given them your name and, and that they had a job in mind and they thought you might be interested. And, and you say, well, I have a job. And they say, well, we want you to listen. We think you'll really be interested. And so they begin to tell you about a line of work that you've never been trained for, you have no experience in. In fact, it doesn't even sound all that appealing. And so you're thinking to yourself, well, the money must be great. There must be a lot of money in this job. And so you begin to ask them, well, what is the pay like? And, and they say, man, I hope you're, you're sitting down. You're going to be glad to hear this. And they share with you that the pay for this job that really doesn't sound interesting to you is less than half of what you're making. I think most of you say, I wouldn't be interested in that job, okay? Work I'm not really excited about for less pay than I'm getting now. About 25 million Americans are un or underemployed, and, and I don't know of anybody looking to take a, take a step down in the socioeconomic ladder. Most people would want to take a step up, and, and if you were to be asked by someone, would you like a job that you uh, maybe would find unfulfilling and you're going to make little money, you'd say, no, I don't want that job. But we find that Levi, when asked by Jesus, he left really the peak of his career to follow the Lord. I want us to think, why would that happen? I mean, if you wanted money, this is where it was at. If you were a tax collector, you'd have it made. We can wonder, why would Jesus have called him? I want us to think, why would he have followed Jesus? And the answer to that question is clear as you study the Bible. You see, money can buy you a lot of things, but fulfillment is not one of them. Money can bring a lot of great opportunities to your life. It can bring the opportunity for a lot of experiences your way, but it's not going to provide fulfillment in that very deepest part of your heart. And, and Levi was a man, I'm sure, that understood what it was to be loaded to the gills with money, to have all the things that come along with that, to know what power is, to have friends that would have been in that type of a, an environment. And yet this was a man who, when invited by a Christ of love, a, a Lord that, that called him to himself, he responded by... By saying, Lord, I want you. It's often been said money will buy a bed, but not sleep and books, but not brains and food, but not an appetite, finery, but not beauty, a house, but not a home, medicine, but not health, luxuries, but not culture, amusements, but not happiness, religion, but not salvation. Now, the Bible is clear. There is no problem with earning a good income, making good money, 
and having nice things. This, this isn't a proof text against having uh, uh, good things and, and money and so forth. In fact, I've met a few fine Christians who were, who were fabulously wealthy, and I think they would testify that it was through following the Lord and following biblical principles that they were able to build a business. I, I don't think that these truths are incompatible. I'm not saying you can't be a good Christian and you can't be filled with money, but the issue is not can we have money. The issue is does our money have us? Does it capture us? Does it hold us captive? Levi is seen as that person who sets out to win the world only to discover that the prize is too elusive. And even when we do what our world calls win, it's still pretty empty. We get caught in the rat race, do we not? We've got to work, work, work so we can get, so we can buy stuff. And then our money's gone, so we've got to work some more. And we get in this vicious cycle, the rat race of life. And it's been said, even when you win a rat race, you're still a rat. And I think we get into this cycle of life. And I really find in Levi the kind of man that had reached the pinnacle. He won, and he realized he didn't win anything. And he meets the Lord. And he understands that Jesus is offering a real fulfillment. A fulfillment through faith in Him. Jesus is fulfilling, but the Bible reveals to us here also that Jesus is friendly. Now, I felt almost juvenile saying of Jesus that he's friendly, but really that's a great thought that the text is bringing to light here. Jesus, the Bible says, sat at meat in his house. That house mentioned in verse 15 is the house of Levi. It was obviously a big, nice home. It was obviously a, a beautiful home. The Bible tells us of this home that in it were many publicans and sinners, and they sat together with Jesus and his disciples, and there were many. So there's a lot of people in this house. And as you just step back and look at this text, I really believe what we're seeing in this text is a going away party. Jesus tells Levi, follow me. He gets up and follows him. In the very next verse, Jesus is in the home of Levi. All his, all his friends who are in the tax business are there. Jesus and the disciples are there. These sinners are there. And we find Jesus in the midst. And Jesus is taking time to get to know Levi better and also to get to know those that were with Levi. It really appears to be a going away party. It seems like Levi thought, this is my opportunity to share Jesus with my co-laborers, with my friends in life. Now, this would have been a shocking scene. Jesus spent a lot of time with the general populace. He walked through the, 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 the seashore there. He talked to the fishermen. He talked to so many people. But, but this one was different. He was spending time with people who were notorious for their dishonesty. They were notorious uh, for, for their selfishness. And as we see Jesus in this house with these people, I want to share an undeniable fact about him with you. Jesus loves people. He loves people. You see, he loves people that maybe we wouldn't love. He loves people not because they're lovely. He, he's just predetermined he's going to be a God of love. That's just the way Jesus is. From time to time, we'll have a relationship with people and, and we'll love them. And other times, we'll decide we don't want a relationship with others. Jesus said, I've already decided. I want a relationship with everybody. To his followers in John 15, 15, he said this. The servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. And to those that don't know Christ, we know that he's a friend to them as well. The religious elite of the day observed Jesus. And in Luke 7, they said this, Behold, a gluttonous man, a wine bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. 
Now, when they said that Jesus was a gluttonous man, what they were saying was he didn't keep the times of fasting. He wasn't a glutton. They said he was a wine-bibber. He wasn't a wine-bibber. But when they said Jesus was a friend of sinners, I believe Jesus would be the first to say, guilty as charged. Yeah, I'm a friend of sinners. I care about everybody. I love those the world would say are lovable, and I love those the world would say are unlovable. As I thought of that, I had to ask myself this week, would I be that way? Am I that way? Now I want you to think, are you the kind of person really that the Lord could work through you to touch the lives of others? To be a help and an encouragement to others? Or do you kind of classify? Worth it, not worth it. Lovable, unlovable. And as a church family, I want us to consider, are we the kind of church, really, that sees the needs in the lives of others and is willing to go in to help and serve and love? I was at youth camp on Monday night a week ago, and our teenagers were there. We're up in Big Bear, and it was a great night. They'd had their dinner, and it was kind of that time in between dinner and and the opening service. And I was was standing there. I was talking with uh, uh, Brother Matt, who leads our, our youth group. And as we're standing there talking... One of the seventh graders uh, came up. Now, if you know a seventh grader, they're interesting creatures, okay? That's an interesting age right there at seventh grade. And, and he ran up, and we're standing there talking, and he's standing there kind of dancing around. And so Matt looks at him like, can I help you? And, and he said, um, do you know where a bathroom is? So Matt looked at him. He said, well, there's one in the cabin. He said, oh, thank you. And they kind of just stood there still. And uh, we're talking. And then he said, Brother Matt, he said, yeah. He said, where's our cabin? You know? <laughs> now, he'd been there all afternoon. He'd already put stuff down and, and got his bunk ready. And he, he, knew where, he, he knew vaguely, you know, I'm on a mountain, there is a cabin. But he thought, all right, I, I just have no idea where the cabin is. So, so he comes to the point where he realizes, I've got a need in my life. I need to go to the bathroom. That was apparent, much jumping around, okay? And uh, so he was given instruction. Well, the bathroom you're looking for, it's in the cabin. But he didn't know where the cabin was. Thankfully, he knew how to go to the bathroom. He just did not know where the bathroom was. And, and as I watched this whole thing unfold, I thought it was funny. And I thought, you know, praise God, I'm, I'm only up here for one night. Matt has to be up here all the week, you know. And, and, uh, but I was thinking, you know, sometimes as people of faith, that's exactly how we are. We're, we're in a world with people that have needs and and we sometimes, you know, we give them the attitude like, listen, you need to get, get yourself squared away and then come back. You need to become friendly and then I'll befriend you. You need to become lovable, then I'll love you. You need to get all your problems fixed up and then I'll express an interest in you. So many in the world in which we're living are just like that boy. They're aware of a need, but they have no idea how to have the need met. Think of that. You see, the Bible makes it clear we're, if we're people of faith, we're... We're in this world, but we're not of this world. There's, there's a reason why God has left people of faith on this planet. And it's not to pass the time accumulating stuff. That, that is part of it in the sense of a career and so forth. But it's so we can proactively see these others who just need someone to love them and reach out to them and care for them. Jesus was criticized for reaching out to people and caring for people that the world said aren't worthy of it. And Jesus said, well, if that's what you're charging me of, yeah, I guess I'd have to say I'm guilty. I heard a statement years ago. It said, you can impress from a distance, but only make an impact up close. Jesus was an up close kind of leader. He was right there. He he was right there to meet the needs of those that he came in contact with. As we continue to look in this text, I want us to find a truth that I believe can also encourage us. We find here that Jesus is faithful. 
You know, critics are an ever-present part of life for anybody that seeks to get anything done, you know? Uh, just about any time in life, you're really going forward and you're going for something. You're going to look around. You're going to find people criticizing you. And that's just the way it goes. And so we have to predetermine. All right, I'm not going to let the critics stop me. But but Jesus is here and, and we find the critics coming in. For him, it was the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees. And they've been observing Jesus for some time now. And I want you to notice a progression here with me because we're going to build on this in the course of our study. In our previous study, the Bible lets us know that this group, the, the Pharisees, okay, the religious elite of the day, this group began to question Jesus, but they did so in their hearts. In our last study, the Bible said it this way, but there were certain of the scribes, and, uh, of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And so in our previous study, they're questioning Jesus, not out loud, but in their hearts. In this study, we find they come to the disciples of Jesus. You see, critics are cowards. They don't have the heart to get out there themselves. They just try to shoot others down. And so they're getting their courage up. They criticize Jesus in their heart. Then they, then they question the followers of Jesus. In our next study, they're going to now come personally to Jesus and confront him. They're progressing all the time. And this is the group. Listen, this is where it's going to come to fruition. This is the group that's going to end up crucifying Jesus Christ. It started in their heart and it just grew and it festered and, and it became that ugly event that was beautiful for people of faith, but ugly in the sense that, that these people that Jesus loved ended up crucifying him. Their issue in this passage was the friendliness that Jesus shared towards the group they called the sinners. And essentially, here was their attitude. How could he? How could he, you know? How could this one who claims to be a teacher of good spend time with these people that are bad? Jesus stepped in, being aware of all that was taking place. He gave a reply that reveals his heart of faithfulness. He said this, They that are whole have no need of the, of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus was faithful to his calling each step of the way. He never lost sight of what it was all about. Let me tell you, it was all about you. It was all about me. Jesus did what he did for people. Years ago, I attended a, a men's Bible study in my home church, and we all got together. I believe it was on a Friday evening, this particular one. And, and the speaker was speaking that night about the need to have a heart for others and, and uh, the need to, to reach out to people and so forth. And he kind of used as an analogy, uh, we were in an inner city church in Long Beach, the, the need for many homeless people there. And he was just kind of talking. And I don't remember everything he said, but I remember he thought, the speaker thought it would be a good idea if at a certain point in time he had someone dressed up like a homeless person come into the meeting, you know. And they'd be kind of an object lesson, an illustration of someone that would need help and so forth. And, and I don't know all the plan. I think he was going to walk up and kind of meander around. Then the speaker was going to help him. And somehow that would make a point, you know. But as, as he was getting into this lesson on compassion and the need to help people, uh, on cue, his friend who's dressed up like a homeless guy walks in to the men's meeting. And immediately a couple men get up and one on each arm of this homeless guy. And they walk him right out of the room and tell him not to come back. So they're so into this lesson on compassion that they kind of missed the point of it all. And, you know, sometimes we can get to going through the motions in our spiritual lives to the point that we kind of forget. Listen, God didn't save us to just warm up a seat for an hour on a Sunday. There's got to be more to it than that. I mean, really, there's got to be a deeper purpose than, than just kind of going through 
the motions of it all. You see, Jesus was faithful in that he never lost sight of what it was he was here to do, which is to save. Jesus was a savior of love. And, and the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Jesus is faithful. The Bible tells us that Jesus is always and altogether good and kind and loving. And true, the writers of Hebrews said, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. The mistake that the scribes and Pharisees made was in thinking that Jesus was just spending time with these sinners. They looked at Jesus and said, He's just hanging out with them. Jesus is just spending time with these people that, that don't know God, they don't love God, they aren't following the ways of the laws as found in the Old Testament. And Jesus is spending time with them, just spending the time away. Jesus didn't spend time, He invested time. Jesus did nothing without a purpose or a reason. And that's why I said that the last statement in verse 15 to me is really key to understanding this whole text. Because as Jesus sat with these people that the Pharisees thought they were too good to be near, the Bible concludes their time together by saying they followed him. The Bible makes it clear as we consider verse 17 that Jesus extended a call to them to repent, to have a change of mind that would lead to a change of direction, to become a follower of, of, of the world and a follower of culture and a follower of money and a follower of those things. He said, why don't you in turn become someone who follows me? And the Bible says they followed him. We do not find our Savior in this text just investing discretionary time with people whose influence would have been negative to him. What we do find is, is a focused and faithful Savior lovingly taking the time to share the truth with those in need. They followed him. You know what that means? He provided that leadership. Now, the problem with us many times is when we get around people that don't know the Lord or love the Lord or care for the Lord or even have disdain in their hearts for God, what we find many times is they are an influence on us. And we justify our time that way by saying, hey, even Jesus, he hung out with people that didn't know God or care about God. Oh, listen, when we study what Jesus was doing here, he said, I love those people enough. I'm getting in the middle of them, not to get them on me, but to get me on them. I want to provide the leadership. I want to provide the encouragement. He went in that group, the Bible called sinners. And when he left that group, they were saints in the sense they were now followers of Jesus Christ. What a leader. What a heart of love. He didn't care what the crowd said. He said, I'm going to get in here and help these people. Think of that. And I want you to know that's really what he's still doing today. And what he asked us to do on his behalf. You see, there's something I think in all of us that thinks we've got a, a crowd. I'm with them. I fit in here. Not there. Lisa and I were watching a little girl sing last night. It's something that... Our, our daughters recorded a talent show, and, and she did good and all. When she got done, she said, I feel so special. And I was thinking about that. I woke up this morning, I told Lisa, I said, you know, that's the beginning of the end. When we get to thinking we are special. Because I'm not better than anybody in the whole world. No, I'm not worse than anybody in the whole world either. But I think there's something in all of us that likes to set up these systems. And Jesus said, you know, forget all of that. It's just people. And I love everybody. And I've got good news. I'm going to share it with everybody that I come in contact with. You know, as we study this text, to me, I really find a great truth that 
that if we're going to be like Christ, we're going to share, share him with everybody we meet. We're, we're going to have a witness for him, regardless of who they are. But I also find this truth. Jesus, you chose Levi? This guy was a crook. He was a liar. He was dishonest. He was a traitor to his own people. And Jesus said, yeah, I, I even love people like that. So maybe you're here today. Not, none of us can leave and say there's nothing for me in this passage. Maybe you're here today and the great message, the great emphasis is this. If we, if we want to love the Lord and live the way he would have us to live and live the way he did live, we better make sure that we're expressing his message to others. That we're being the friends we need to be, that we're faithful in that pursuit as well. But, but maybe you're here today and in your heart, if you were asked this question, do you know that you have a relationship with God that'll last forever? If you were asked that question, the best you could come up with is, I hope so. Maybe. Maybe the message for you today is that Jesus didn't just come for Levi, he came for you as well. Occasionally I'll talk to people of faith and they'll, they'll be so discouraged. They've done something wrong, they've, they've gone the wrong direction, and, and they wonder, you, you think God could ever get over this thing? Hey, listen, when we look at this text, Jesus was willing to forgive anybody. A Levi and others in Scripture, he'll forgive you. The Bible in 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's his faithfulness, not ours. And we can come to him today, and today can be a new beginning. It could be a new beginning in the way we live for him, a new beginning in the way we receive love from him, and have a relationship with him. Our Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture and for what we're learning as we just go verse by verse through this great book of the Bible. Help us, Lord. Help us to live for you and, and, and to live as you lived. In these final moments, God, I pray that you'd help us to, to do something with what we've heard today, to, to make a decision. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.